everyone and welcome to this Harmony in Health podcast. I'm Julia Outlaw, a member of the Harmony in Health team. And we are a group of experts in different disciplines interested in this concept of harmony and how we can look at ancient wisdom and traditions and also modern disciplines and bring them together to improve health and well-being. And today um, I'm delighted to be talking to Konstantinos Ciampanu about foraging. Now, foraging is something that um, I think has um, grown in popularity over the last few years. And when we're thinking about harmony and being in harmony with nature and with ourselves, um, I think it's something very interesting to look at. Now, Konstantinos is, um, he would say he's not an expert in foraging, I think, um, but he is an expert in many things and is a permaculture teacher, a forest school teacher, um, and an educator, environmental educator. Um, He's also, interestingly, a barrister for asylum seekers, um, and it's very interesting to hear how his work interconnects. Um, He's very passionate about connecting people to nature. And I'm delighted that he's joining us today. Hello, Konstantinos. Hi, Julia. Thanks for having me. It's a great uh, pleasure and honor to be here and to talk with you uh, and to share my my uh, knowledge about foraging. As you rightly said, I'm definitely not an expert, but uh, I'll share whatever knowledge I have with you. with pleasure. Tell us, Konstantinos, when did you sort of get into this work or how did it all come about? Well... My hometown is in the mountains of northern Greece and we have a, a long-standing tradition of foraging wild mushrooms. Uh, some say that uh, during uh, the Great Famine, uh, during the civil, uh, during the Second World War, uh, there were a lot of people that uh, managed to survive because of foraging wild mushrooms. So it started from a young age and um, it uh, grew from there, really. Uh, Besides mushrooms, there's a great tradition in foraging uh, wild greens and many other sorts of uh, medicinal and edible uh, greens in our in our area. Even today in the Sunday market, you get to find a lot of uh, uh, wild uh, greens uh, for sale. So yeah, it started from a young age and it grew from there. Amazing. But it's just something quite basic when you think about it that Foraging, it was a necessity, really, for many people. Totally. It was a, a way of living for uh, thousands and thousands of years. It's only in the last few generations that we, we disconnected with it. Uh, for the history of mankind, uh, foraging was uh, the, the standard way of living until uh, the agriculture was developed. So, yeah, for sure. And just... Defining it really, so foraging, sort of living off the land, or is it more? It's not farming so much, is it? Or definitely not farming. Foraging for me is uh, uh, living off the land and, and uh, gathering food that is there available in nature, and uh, we don't. Uh, and it's food that humans don't intervene for it to grow, so it grows wild. And maybe we can talk about this later, but there's work you can do sort of to make sure that more wild food grows, isn't there? Definitely. Preservation of uh, wild areas and uh, uh, 
uh, taking care of them and making sure that uh, they don't uh, grow smaller in size as it is, unfortunately, the norm nowadays. And also protection of particular species, uh, some of which might be endangered. And do you see more and more of that happening? You mean of the protection? Yes, or of, of species becoming endangered. Yes, there's uh, more and more pieces becoming endangered, unfortunately, due to our uh, very invasive uh, uh, relationship uh, with uh, nature and forests. However, there seems to be, um, people seem to be more sensitive about it uh, lately. And there are being efforts made, probably more in uh, some places than others. But uh, let's just hope that it's uh, not too little too late for some of the species that are endangered. Yes, absolutely. Let's talk a bit about the institute, Sporus, that you ran, the Sporus Regeneration Institute. Mm. Sporus was set up two and a half years ago. Um, the initial intention was to accommodate uh, the needs for our uh, forest school that we've, that we've been running for four years now in uh, uh, in Lesbos, Greece, where I'm based. So it started uh, as a forest school, but then it expanded and now it... Uh, it includes uh, all sorts of uh, environmental education uh, activities and vocational training for uh, both for uh, children and adults. Uh, we focus a lot in regenerative agri- agriculture and permaculture design, and uh, we hold courses for uh, refugees and locals, so we use them as a, an integration tool as well. And uh, we also have uh, some new projects that started this year, school gardens and some hydroponic uh, STEM uh, classes in schools. Wow, it's quite broad-reaching then. How, tell me more about the work with the refugees. So I imagine it's, there's a lot of work to be done there, given sort of where you're situated. Definitely. Lesbos is uh, one of the main gateways of uh, refugees into Europe due to its proximity to the Turkish seashore. Uh, in the past uh, six years, uh, there's been millions of refugees that crossed through here on their uh, journey seeking uh, safe, uh, a safer life. And um, at the moment, things are a bit quieter compared to the numbers that we had the previous years. Nevertheless, there's still uh, around 5,000 refugees on the island at the moment. So what we do is we try to give them an opportunity to leave the camp and the difficult conditions where they live and uh, spend some time in a more uh, green and natural environment and uh, at the same time learn new skills that might prove uh, useful for them. Uh, both in their private life, but also in terms of uh, vocational training. That's incredible. And I guess that overlaps a bit with your work as a barrister helping them. Or do you see overlaps? Yes, sometimes. Uh, uh, it overlaps for sure in that uh, uh, there's, uh, the work I do as a barrister is more focused on minors. I mainly assist uh, unescorted minors in their asylum applications here. However... Uh, many times uh, I get to do a lot of other pro bono work for uh, volunteers of Sporos or uh, people who come and uh, seek my help. It's a multifold problem and uh, we try to help uh, in uh, as many ways as we can. It's a big problem and there's not enough help for these people. However, 
things are improving and the conditions in which they live are improving as well. So I'm hopeful for the future. It's amazing the work you do. Can we explain the benefits of them doing this vocational work and getting into the green space? I mean, we can kind of imagine it and we all like going outside, but just how important is it? What do you see changing for them? Well, there's changes both in their psychology, but also in their actual health. Uh, a comment that I get very often is that uh, uh, people that uh, leave the camp and spend even a few hours in our educational farm or in the garden we have near the, the camp, they they always mention how they, they don't have as much stress as before and they get to do something else rather than sit around and wait and stress about their future and at the same time uh, as anyone who's worked with the land uh, even a bit knows the uh, the joy of uh, working with the land with your hands is something that uh, really is uh, irreplaceable and it's a connection that we've lost not only refugees everyone especially people in uh, in Europe who live in big cities have definitely lost that so yeah, I would say psychological and also uh, actual uh, health benefits. Uh, we've had people who, with uh, severe headaches, people with PTSD, that once they started working regularly in the garden have uh, mentioned improvement in their health. And, uh, of course, there's also the, uh, the obvious benefit of uh, growing good food, which then you can uh, share with your family, cook and eat, and that also has physiological benefits because when you eat good food, you, you, you are better you know, health-wise. Gosh, so, so many dimensions to it. For sure, yeah. Back to this loss of connection with the earth that I think you rightly say is, is everywhere. What do you think is, is, has happened and what do you think could happen, especially in terms of interest in things like foraging? Hmm. This is a huge conversation, obviously, but uh, uh, for me, the main the main disconnection started when people moved from the countryside to big cities. And uh, although that's not the the case in England, where you still have big parks uh, very in very close proximity, or even within uh, big cities in Greece, for example, uh, our main uh, and big cities are like. Uh, full of cement and hardly any green around. So this uh, centralization definitely had uh, its toll in uh, this disconnection with nature. And also the way life is much more demanding now. And, uh, this uh, it, Life is more of a struggle now in terms of if you want to live in a big city, you got to make sure that uh, uh, you... There's... This, uh, how can I say, this, this higher demands for people living in the city in terms of time and effort in order to make ends meet. People living in the countryside may earn less, but they definitely have less needs as well. Now, as far as uh, the future is concerned, I'm very happy to see that there is again uh, an interest shown by the younger people in learning the old ways, learning the uh, skills that tend to disappear, be that foraging or any other skill that is related to the earth or to any kind of uh, uh, handcrafting. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess this is a 
this is a topic and a question that is uh, relative to uh, to geographical locations. In some places, this this is still the norm, and in some places, like more industrialized countries, if you like, uh, uh, people are totally disconnected that they cannot even uh, tell between uh, uh, very distinct plants or yes. vegetable plants, if you like. Yes. Mm. And I guess everywhere there's pockets of, of people who, who do know more or interested more and perhaps those are growing. Definitely, yeah. And uh, we should be grateful that they are there and we should really help in uh, preserving them and also expanding them so that uh, the knowledge is not lost um, already. I'll talk about Greece that I know more. Already there's a big gap in the knowledge that's been handed over from previous generations to the the ones here, that was probably uh, because of a few reasons. Main one, if you ask me, being the invasion of television in our lives, and uh, this had as a result um, idealizing idealizing the the life in the big cities and chasing the American dream, if you like, and really. Uh, not giving as much value to our uh, traditions and uh, to our uh, uh, to our traditional way of living, for sure. Uh, this way, the this, there was a there was a gap in the handing over of knowledge. Um, however, Greece, in my eyes, is like the last frontier in Europe. There's still big pockets of uh, knowledge. There's uh, there's many people living in villages and still uh, carrying all the old ways and still preserving traditional seeds and uh, pr- traditional techniques. So now with the new technology that we have, it's vital that we uh, preserve this uh, knowledge and we share it widely, be that in person or through the through the internet or other means uh, that technology can offer. Yes. Because it's not a skill that you just sort of pick up, is it? You need to know what different plants are and you know what kind of benefits picking those plants has or when's the best time to pick them. And... Yeah, definitely. Our ancestors have, have done all the trial and error and all the difficult work for us. So um, it's best if we uh, take advantage of all this knowledge and this even sacrifices sometimes, you know, back really, if you go really back and there's been people that sacrifice their lives trying to experimenting with the edibility of, uh, some plants. And, um, it's something that really you need to learn next to someone who's, uh, who knows more about it than us. It's not something that you can, I would advise anyone to go and, uh, do on their own, uh, unless it's about some very basic and uh, easily distinguishable um, food out in the the forest. When I was teaching mushrooms, uh, so like, for example, when I was, uh, when I was uh, teaching uh, people how to forage for mushrooms in seminars that I held in the past, the first thing that I would uh, advise them and the first thing I was, I would teach them is the, uh, the deadly mushrooms, uh, so really, there is a risk in uh, foraging, which uh, has to do with uh, the toxicity of some of the plants and uh, mushrooms uh, that uh, we may forage. So the first step really is to learn what you should not pick rather than what you can pick, if you ask me. Yeah, I'm scared of picking mushrooms I was because some of the deadly ones look like some of the edible ones, don't they? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's good to be scared. That's my first advice. Uh, 
you have to be 100% sure with mushrooms because, uh, uh, as you said, there's some that that might be very look very similar, or the conditions in which they grew might might make them look similar to some uh, uh, edible mushrooms. And uh, there's been uh, uh, quite a few incidents of people getting poisoned and unfortunately even dying from eating the wrong kind of mushroom. Uh, but that applies to plants as well. There's a lot of berries that are very dangerous and a lot of uh, greens that uh, might cause uh, problems. Um, so, yeah, uh, knowledge is definitely important. And uh, IDing uh, the, the very dangerous ones it would be the first step for me in uh, learning how to forage uh, anything in, in the wild, really. And talk about a healing benefits or medicinal plants. There's a lot mm-hmm. of plants that can be used for natural medicine. Well, uh, there's a lot of uh, herbs that help. Uh, and, and there's a lot of uh, uh, greens that uh, have uh, uh, very high concentrations in uh, beneficial uh, minerals or uh, any other um, how do I say, qualities that they may have. Uh, those vary from uh, place to place. And truth be told, uh, the, the the older and the wilder a forest is, the more chances you have of finding a variety. Uh, the Amazon is a great example uh, of a uh, uh, heaven of uh, medicinal plants that uh, the modern pharmacology have, has based uh, most of its uh, uh, current, uh, 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 let's say, armory of medicine has been based on uh, plants that uh, have existed in uh, and still exist in the Amazon. So the old growth forests are the ones that uh, would uh, definitely be more rich. However, uh, that doesn't mean that um, uh, it's limited to that. If it, if we take a walk in our uh, in our closest. Uh, uh, forest, we will definitely find some uh, uh, herbs or greens that are uh, very beneficial to our health. Uh, from uh, uh, if we talk about Greece, from uh, simple mountain tea or uh, Oregon or many other wild wild herbs, or even uh, the the very humble dandelion that we always ignore, but it's really beneficial for us, and you can find in most places in Europe. There's many examples. And it's something about it being so freshly picked from the earth or from a bush or tree and it's not been through lots of processes, it's not been through supermarkets. Not only the process, it's also the time from picking it up to consuming that uh, is uh, minimised and that really helps in uh, contain in, in keeping most of the beneficial, uh, uh, one of, most of the benefits of the, uh, of the things that are uh, harvested for sure. Uh, from uh, field to fork straight away without any intermediates or without uh, any carbon fruit footprint either for that matter. And you don't need to do foraging, you know, as a living or do it all the time, do you? There's, it's, it can be a hobby for many people just taking a walk and... Definitely, yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's difficult to earn a living solely from foraging uh, and... Uh, but it's very easy to enjoy a walk in the forest and uh, uh, as you do also uh, pick uh, some uh, very tasty and uh, uh, and beneficial uh, food on the way. 
And uh, of what I know in England, there's a lot of uh, sets uh, interest uh, reviving and there's a lot of walks organized uh, where uh, a teacher will take uh, students for a walk and show them what they can eat on the, along the way. This is uh, uh, great knowledge for sure. Yes, I know there's a, a few things out there about foraging at the moment, certainly on social media and where it all seems quite complicated that you pick something and then you turn it into this amazing you know, borage ice cream with this and that. and um, But it doesn't have to be that complicated, do it? Like you talk about the dandelion or even just going to pick some blackberries or something. Yeah, exactly. The The way you're going to cook it and what you're going to do with it if you are uh, going to turn it into uh, something to preserve it is uh, obviously uh, another field on its own and uh, it's another skill on its own. But uh, yeah, it doesn't take much. It just takes... Uh, you can pick it and boil the dandelion, blanch it even for a few minutes, and then enjoy a very healthy and uh, very beneficial uh, uh, meal for sure. So it really, it really depends on uh, how far you're going to take it. It can be as simple as uh, picking it and then cooking it, even in the forest, or it, you can process it and uh, turn it into a jam or into a. Uh, many other different things and preserve it this way. What's your favourite thing to forage? Mushrooms, for sure. It's because it, it's my favourite hobby since I, since I was a child and uh, the smells of being in the forest and the enjoyment of find, finding a, a good uh, piece of uh, land with a lot of mushrooms, I don't compare it with anything else. Uh, yeah, it's definitely my favorite, and I try to explore it and practice it uh, wherever I go. And maybe we could just finish with talking a little bit about harmony. Then this concept of harmony and things being interconnected, and how this work of foraging and working off the land, and your work with all its different arms, how that contributes to harmony, or how harmony plays into that. Hmm. That's an interesting concept. Yes, definitely. Um, if uh, foraging uh, uh, happens in a sustainable way, in a way that uh, is not uh, based on greed, and uh, but uh, in taking a fair share of what what is available, then that uh, doesn't uh, uh, disturb the harmony of the ecosystem, and uh, it even contributes to it if it's done in. Uh, uh, particular ways. Uh, I'll give you a small example. If you harvest mushrooms the right way and you you carry them while you do the foraging uh, in, um, in bags that have nets, then you contribute in the spreading of the spores and in um, the multiplication of these, thus expanding and uh, continuing the harmony of the forest ecosystem. Um, now, as far as our inner harmony is concerned, I believe that uh, spending time in nature and doing uh, some, some foraging, uh, which is a very, uh, um, which is a practice that has been uh, followed by our ancestors since time immemorial, that definitely brings us brings us in harmony within ourselves with. Um, with uh, our um, our nature as a species, if you like, and uh, brings us closer to um, 
being uh, in harmony and in rhythm with uh, the rest of nature and uh, more uh, helping us become a part of nature rather than uh, uh, separate. Totally agree. Thank you, Constantino, so much. I mean, all of the work that you do and your generosity in sharing it with us and with everyone you, you work with. And we will be having another um, podcast about foraging where some of the team are going to share their experiences and, and questions. Um, but thank you so much for joining us today, Constantino. Thank you for having me, Julia. It's been a pleasure. Bye for now. Bye-bye.